Hallo alles, ich bin Lisa. What? <lacht> I'm Nick. <lacht> Und du hörst zu Es braucht zwei. Ein Podcast, äh, bei dem zwei Personen haben zwei gleiche Filme gesehen. Also, und dann haben wir eine Diskussion. Stop showing off the fact that you are firm or bilingual. <laughs> I just thought it was appropriate for the episode. I'm not going to speak any more German because I don't think I can um, formulate sentences quick enough okay, when okay. we're having an off-the-cuff discussion, but... Okay, so for the people who don't speak German, what the hell did you just say? Uh, hi everyone, I'm Lisa, and you're listening to It Takes Two, a podcast where two people, I think what I said was where two people watch two of the same movie, and then we have a discussion. Makes sense. Which is close enough to <laughs> what I normally say, but my German isn't good enough to give a direct translation to for what we normally say. All right. Um, <laughs> whew, uh, we watched the Netflix adaptation of All Quiet on the Western Front and 1917, yes. both movies about uh, World War One. Mm-hmm. Both movies about young soldiers on the Western Front. Yeah. Uh, this is a listener suggestion, and by listener suggestion, I mean this episode was suggested by my manager, who is a good friend of both of us. But more importantly, he's a listener. <laughs> and so, we take listener suggestions. So yeah, if you have so suggestions. If, yeah, so you've got a suggestion. Uh, chuck it in the Discord. Our Discord link is in the footnotes. The Yeah, the, well, the show notes. Show notes. Footnotes if we're a book. Um, I'm a book? No. Yeah. Um, it's going to end up in the you are you and I am me argument again. Um, where do we start? Okay, um... I have seen, I had, I have seen, I have seen 1917, this will be the third time I watched it. Okay. So the, the third time being for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I had not seen the Netflix adaptation of All Quiet on the Western Front, which uh, is originally a book, but... You've seen I, one of the previous adaptations. I had seen the CBS uh, made-for-TV movie that oh, stars okay. er- Ernest Baldwin. So I had I knew what was going to happen in the movie, but the adaptation from the movie I'd seen previously, I'm not gonna say did the movie better. I'm just saying there were certain sequences which were way more hard hitting in the CBS version. Okay. Which is interesting to me because I think. There is a common trend, I think since Hurt Locker won the Oscar, Mm. there's been a trend within directors to make the movies about war way less glamorous. It's not, you know, not everything can be, um, oh my god, what's the movie with... um, uh, Saving Private Ryan? No. I don't know. know That's gritty and real. There's a movie with Nicolas Cage... And he, Bad Lieutenant? No. Uh, I think it's Wind Talkers. I've never even heard of that one. And it's his job to protect the code talkers who are ta- talking in their native Native American language. And the friggin' opening sequence, because I think it was made by Spike Lee, is bananas. 
Okay. He runs down a hill and shoots a 1911, like, to from full clip to empty and hits every single person. And he's running down a hill and, like, firing it, like, off the side. Like, it's a just, like, nothing. And then <laughs> there's a moment where his mate explodes and he just screams. And it's such a fantastic opening to a movie because it's just bananas. You know, did we watch the movie with Alyssa Milano in it? Did I make you watch Commando? Commando, yeah. You know how, like, when he's throwing grenades and people are doing backflips? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like that. But it's supposed to be, like, a gritty, realistic war movie. But anyway, my point being, um, yeah, the, the, the director's putting realism into movies and making them, like, superhero action-y movies... You know, less Captain America, first Avenger, and more rats eating the inside of corpses. Mm. Well, I mean, I think um, from what I know of the book, the book is very anti-war to begin with. Yeah. Um, Most people who have fought in wars are very anti-war. Yeah, well, it's written by someone (laughs) based on their own experiences. Um, They're both based on real experiences. So... Uh, All Quiet in the Western Front is based on a book, um, and the book was inspired by the real experiences of the author, um, whereas 1917 is loosely inspired by the autobiography of the director's grandfather, who who was a a messenger in World War I. Do you know what else World War I, um, what's the word? Aspired? No. What's the word? Inspired. Inspired. Thank you. What well, World War One inspired? Yeah. The Lord of the Rings. Is that what you're gonna say? No. I was gonna the say, I was gonna say World War Two. Because oh. <laughs> guess who else fought in World War One and hated it? Adolf Hitler. Right. Um. Yeah, because I was thinking when we were watching 1917, I was thinking we could just like, if there was a cut of the Two Towers and Return of the King where it was only Sam and Frodo scenes, you could compare those. Yeah. Um, no, because it's, there's definitely the similarities between that, between, uh, Blake and, what is his name? Uh, such as this. The other, the other man. In 1917? Yeah. Uh, Schofield. Schofield. Um, and Kat and Paul. Yeah. Powell. Powell Yeah. I can't speak German. You can say Powell. Powell. Rather than Paul. Max Powell. Such some anglicizing his name. Paul Paul Baumer. Yeah, Paul Baumer. Yeah, Powell ba- Boimer. Yeah. Yeah. You continue. Please. You were in the middle of a sentence. Oh, I yeah. just corrected you on his pronunciation. Right. I thought you were talking about how you could just edit Lord of the Rings down. So it's just a... Oh, yeah. I I think that there's a similarity between... The, I just think that... Because the Lord of the Rings... I think The Hobbit in particular, but then The Lord of the Rings by extension was written based on Tolkien's experiences yeah. at war. Um, and I think that the story in 1917, which is largely two soldiers together crossing no man's land and dangerous territory to try and get a message that, you know, and the reason they're going just the two of them is to get there quicker and less detected and whatever, you know, that's literally Sam and Frodo getting into Mordor to destroy the Ring of Mountain. But instead of a ring, it's orders not to attack the German line. Yeah. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, there was, like, that's, I, like, I was watching it, watching 1917, 
I was like, I can understand how Tolkien's experience in the war led to him writing those stories. Yeah. Um, and also, on that note, apparently in the, the other famous adaptation of All Quiet in the Western Front, it ends... I'm going to... Spoiler alert. <laughs> I guess always spoilers on this show. Um, but apparently in the previous adaptation, it ends with Powell going home and finding that um, because of what he's witnessed and what he's lived through, he can't connect with people anymore. Um, Do you know what version that is? The... Uh, I'm sure I've taken it down as a note. The 1930 oh, okay. version so, of it. Yeah. Um, so that's... But it was not in this version of it because it wasn't in the book. Right. Um, so this one, I think, is more true to the book. But, um, but that was what the purpose of both The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, like the endings of them are, is that these people who've gone out and done these things, they come back to a place that's like... The, the people there have no experience or knowledge of what's happened and, and the person is irreparably changed and can't connect with people anymore. Yeah. Because um, you, the... So you uh talking of uh, Saving Private Ryan, so then also Tom Hanks produced uh, Band of Brothers mm-hmm. and then because Band of Brothers did so well, they made The Pacific and The Pacific has that at the ending. Which right. I think Band of Brothers really doesn't have as much like following the characters. Um, yeah, it's it's war's hell, and mm-hmm. yeah, these movies don't shy away from the gritty realism. Yeah, I think nineteen seventeen shies away from it a lot more. Yeah, but there's not in comparison to the two movies. Nineteen seventeen has like. No combat in it. Yeah, and only four on-screen deaths. Yeah. Whereas in in um, All Quiet in the Western Front, there's like a death every ten seconds. Yeah, you There's will. like people exploding in front of your eyes, and you're like, whoa. Yeah, um, and then when the like the core crew, um, you get uh, one of the guys who wants to become a... What does he want to do? He wanted to become a military police officer. Yeah. He gets shot in the leg. So, in his response to that, when he's in hospital, I say hospital, he's lying in a courtyard on a stretcher with a bunch of other people. He just, like, takes a fork and ends his own life by stabbing himself repeatedly in the neck. Um, their yeah. other mate gets burned by French flamethrowers. Um, I can't remember the other dead. Oh, one of them just, like, runs off. Yeah, he just dies off screen. Yeah. France. Mm. Um... He dies off screen. It's it's yeah, it's sad. There's a shot at the beginning when they're when they're all like marching. Yeah. And um, the order that they're marching is the order they die in. Yeah. Um. But it's yeah, I I like. Wait, you're gonna say you like a war movie? I <laughs> stop the presses. Yeah, I'm not a war movie fan. No, I like the anti-war sentiment. Of all quite the western front, like I like the arc that we go on with Paolo because at the beginning, um, so both these movies start in the middle of war. They start in nineteen seventeen. Yeah. In both cases, the war started in nineteen fourteen. So it's you know it's ongoing. In 
1917, the movie, not the year. Um, the <laughs> Schofield and Blake are both Lance Corporals and they've clearly been there for a while. Yeah. In the positions they're in, they've been there. We I don't think it's said how long they've been there, but they've they're well established. They've been they've been out there for a long time fighting. Um, because they're talking about times that they've had leave in the past to go home and things like that. So they've, you know, they've been around for quite a while. Um, All Quiet on the Western Front starts off with a group of soldiers being sent over the, over the top of the trenches and all just being obliterated. Yeah. And then their uniforms are washed and given to new recruits. Yeah. Um, Repaired. Washed and repaired, like the bullet holes sewn up Mm. and then handed over to new recruits and when we meet Powell and his friends they are um he forges his father's signature yeah, yeah so his friends are all so are they finished are they going from I don't know is it school or university or like is it like secondary I, school I or? think it's yeah I think they're going if the war wasn't on they'd be going to university yeah, right and so he's supposed to be going home whereas his friends are all going to war yeah and they convince him to sign, to forge his parents' signature so that he can go to war. Yeah. So they're like all excited about the glory of it and whatever. And you know, and I I hate glorification of war. I think war shouldn't happen. <laughs> and I think this movie I think it has there's faults that annoy me, but there's um generally speaking, in All Quiet in the Western Front, um for the most part, they don't glorify it, but they show that people do glorify it and did glorify it, and they show the, how the glorification of war leads to um, exploitation of young and vulnerable people. Yeah. Um, especially men. Um, and so it's these guys, you know, all being like, oh, we're going to do our country proud and we're going to, like, get out there and whatever, and then, um, you know, by the end of it, or by like halfway through, they're all terrified and like awful things are happening, and they just wanted to end. They just want to get home. They just want to survive. And by the end of it, then you've got um, a great sequence where um, Powell jumps like he's just fighting, and he like jumps down into the trenches and is like just slaughtering people, and um, it's brutal because at that point he's just gone. He's just the the guy that we knew from the beginning of the movie, even though it's only taken place over, um, it's a year and a half, right? Isn't that a year and a half? I think, I it's, think, I think eight, it's eighteen months is uh, the number that we've mentioned. Yeah, yeah, that's a year and a half. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> so I think it's from like April twenty seventeen, or sorry, twenty seventeen, nineteen seventeen, April nineteen seventeen to November nineteen eighteen. Yeah, is the the timeline of it. Um, and he's a totally different person, and he's just by the time that last fight is happening, he's just switched off. Um, and it's that, like, machine that they kind of show, in that, like, we got to see it happening, right? we got to see the end of the journey for a whole group of troops, and then we get to see the, from beginning to end of this next group, yeah. and that it's, you know, if it hadn't had the ceasefire or whatever there, it would have just kept churning it out. Um, yeah, so I really appreciate how they did that how they showed um that in actual fact the people you know because really um 
you know, the war, and they show this in both films to an extent, like, a lot of the war is just people who are higher up who don't actually have to do any of the fighting not giving a shit about the lives of the people that they're sending out to die and just being like, yeah, just send more of them out to die. And they just don't, they don't care. And it's just so that they can get more power. Yeah. And I mean, a whole lot of the fighting that was happening on that Western front, which is, you know, where both films are set, is just, they spent, I think, like, I can't, I can't remember the exact figure, but it was like three, I think it was three million people died on that Western front. And all they did was move the line a couple hundred meters in each direction. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous that it happened at all. Yeah. Um, warfare went on. Um, it was the evolution of warfare from, um, we'll say, from uh, American Revolution to uh, the Civil War, where, um, you know, back from medieval era, which was just army, two armies met on a, a pre-agreed battlefield and fought each other, and then whoever won lost. Um, with the... Uh, don't quote me, because I'm not a historian. Um, but with the... In, um, in, um, with artillery and... Uh, obviously chemical weapons which were invented in uh, for World War One, um, like the the whole concept changed, and I think it was the general in in all quite in the Western Front talking about, you know, it's just a game of chess. The difference being that in, in a game of chess where you sacrifice one pawn for like the greater good of your army, unfortunately your one pawn doesn't become a pawn like a singular individual. It's it's an it's a squad, it's a, it's a platoon, it's a mm-hmm. entire battalion. Yep. Um, but yeah, artillery really changed the game um, because you could hit people from really far away mm-hmm. accurately. Um, yeah, trench warfare is a shit show because, yeah, you basically, everyone gets dug in and that's it and you end up with, like, the photos you can see, um, there's quite a few of them online of like the landscape of France mm-hmm. and where they fought, yeah, and how it's still a mess today. Mm-hmm. Um, is insane because like even erosion's not taking care of that, but you know it's only been, you know, has it been a hundred years? It has, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, been over hundred years. Yeah, hundred and five years since these films were set. Yeah. Coming up, well, coming up in 106 years since they, April, in April, it'll be 106 yeah. years. But yeah. like the, but it's like the evolution of everything. It's like, um, uh, plane combat. Mm. And, you know, from the, the technological jump from the tanks they had in World War One to the tanks they had in World War Two, the deployment they could have, you know, um, Operation Market Garden, which is where the uh, the Americans parachuted into occupied Europe. Mm-hmm. Like so much changed in a very short amount of time. But even like the tanks were, you know, a huge thing. Oh yeah, to they, begin had, with. they had nothing. You couldn't do anything about it. 
Um, because like there's a sequence in it's, All Quiet it's in the Western Front. Really well done. It's horrifying. It's, yeah. Because they've just like overtaken a French trench. And because they're all starving, instead of like fighting anymore, they just find food. Yeah, they just, find food and they just and there's like rats crawling around and they've all got they're covered in blood mud and, and blood and yeah. they just start picking up the food and shoving in their mouths and then you the it's the ground shakes. And they look over, these tanks are coming towards them, and they're, they can't do anything. They're, like, shooting at them, and they just come towards them, and one of the tanks comes down into the trench and just... Runs a dude over. Yeah, just absolutely crushes this guy. And then, and the and they, like, they seem totally shocked to see them. They weren't, like, they have no idea how to fight against them. Yeah. They weren't trained for this, you know? And then, um, and then you get the guys with the flamethrowers come out. Yeah. And start just, just blasting them. Um, and so even the technological advances there, like yeah. I don't like the troops on the front line weren't expecting those or didn't you know didn't seem to have any awareness that that was what they were going to be facing. It's interesting too because there was a lot of um, old school thoughts still running around in World War One, uh, and it's like uh, both the Americans and the Germans adopted like a muted color. For some form of like camouflage, harsh, yeah. the French were still wearing like blue. Mm-hmm. It was like you know the evolution of camouflage from then to like you know what's easy to mass produce. Well, you just you know the good guys all wear green and the bad guys wear like <laughs> grey to black. You know it's a standard. How do you write shittiness? Um, and it's yeah, it's just the the. That sort of standard look, except the French who are running around like literal Smurfs. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's not. Really... But it's like apparently British soldiers were not were not supposed to run across the when they got out yeah, of the trenches because it's, it's undignified. You yeah, had to walk. Yeah, it's the same as when they had musket lines. Yeah. You just like march into the enemy fire, and then you like when you get within like optimum firing ranges when your commander uh, you know tells you to fire. It's like that doesn't that worked when. A good musketman could fire three muskets, three rounds in a minute. Yeah. Versus, like, you you saw it in the movie, and they're not even aiming, but they're yeah, like but they're emptying just... their clips of you know their yeah. um uh, the I think it was a thirty thirty Mauser I think was I can't remember I get a lot of brain crossover between the rifles and and armaments from World War Two and One mixed together. Mm. Um, but yeah, they're like literally, you can, it's nothing, nothing in comparison to like having to individually reload every round. Yeah. There was a lot of stupid shit that happened in World War One. Yeah. Because of just. The crossover in technology. Crossover in technology. Um, you know, advances happening as they're fighting, yeah. you know, over the years. And, it, and it's, a, it's that old saying is we learn how to fight the last, the previous war when the next one starts. Right, yeah. Like, um,. The perfect example of why, in the beginning, America's tactics didn't work in Vietnam because they'd gone from fighting in Europe and Korea, um, to trying to fight in you know big open stretches where you could dig you know lines. You knew where the enemy was. You were fighting over ground mm-hmm. versus Vietnam, which was just like they attacked you and then disappeared, and they were fighting in guerrilla warfare. Yeah. And then of course they went from fighting in the jungle. To then invading countries that don't have jungles or trees, uh, yeah. and and you know everything everything changed again. 
And it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting that, you know, those concepts still existed when they, you know, had mustard gas and mm-hmm. artillery. That they were like, no, just, just walk. Just walk, you'll be fine. We're blue. We're blue out in the middle of the open. Yeah, it's bizarre. Yeah. But it's all a, like a facade. But, I mean, you see that even with the, like... I think... Yeah, no, in both films they do it. They They use like costume as a as a kind of storytelling device to show the character's like state of mind yeah I think it's very deliberate in 1917 but I think I'm pretty sure they do it in All Quiet the Western Front as well where it's like you know at the beginning they're all pristine and you know fully outfitted out or whatever yeah, yeah. and then you know it gets worse and worse and you know in 1917 he's like his hat is gone and his jacket and whatever and it's you know um, giving up on this facade of we must be presentable at all times. We yeah. must do exactly this, and then you get that shot in nineteen seventeen where he gets out of the trenches and just sprints across it to try and and stop the, you know, try and get the message across and stop the the um the troops from from going over and and dying. I um, have to say one thing about war movies, and mm-hmm. this is I think a very big generalization, but I. Find it sits out with war movies more than other movies. Mm-hmm. The cinematography is amazing. It's fucking gorgeous from start to finish. The cinematography of 1917 is stunning. Yeah. It's absolutely beautiful. And that's coming from a person who hates war movies. Yeah. <laughs> it is a beautifully shot film. The moment when I first watched it, mm-hmm. the moment where I was realizing, like, as the viewer of um, watching the movie for the first time, that, like, the cinematography was going to be the main star of the entire movie. Mm-hmm. So when they're, they climb out of the, they get the flares, they climb out, they get the orders, they get the flares, they climb out of the trench. Mm-hmm. And his hand gets stabbed by the barbed wire when yeah. they're crossing no man's land. Um... And it's that sequence where they go into the crater and there's a dead body next to him with rats all over it and mm-hmm. he, um, Schofield recoils in horror from it. And then Blake jumps into the pit, sees another person buried like face level with him, yeah, which is like a screaming skull at this point, and then falls backwards onto Schofield and you watch him put the hand that he just stabbed in barbed wire yeah. into... Like a dead body, and yeah. you're just like, oh no, <laughs> yeah, basic hygiene, and he's just like, oh, just you know, fix bat, you know, when they get to the end, it's just like, oh, you get a bandage up, and he just like pours water on it, and it's just like, no, it's like a rotting corpse that you touched with an open wound, like if you don't get sepsis, I'd be very surprised. And the amount of shit he goes through, and I'm just like, you know, yeah. Like, the biggest, for example, the biggest killer for the American Civil War mm-hmm. was not combat. It was sepsis. It was, no, it was disease and illness from sitting in trenches. Well, not trenches, because they didn't have trenches then, because mm-hmm. trenches were an invention of all. But, well, I'm pretty sure main use of trenches was, in like, built trenches mm-hmm. um, was an invention of... Because we saw it in... Um, what the hell was the, 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 the movie we watched twice because one of them was just bizarrely long? Um, Dance of the Wolves. Dance of the Wolves. Like, they had, like, fences. <laughs> yeah. And that was it. And they would, like, build fences 
or you know put some posts together as some form of you know cover just outside of range of each other mm-hmm. um but yeah the that whole sequence again the the muskets and the yeah yeah exactly <laughs> if you're if you're like if you if you have to squint to see them then you're not gonna be able to reach them with your gun yeah like um one of the really screwed up stories is i can't remember if it was a revolutionary war must be the revolutionary war um the guy uh, who invented the Gatling gun. Okay. The reason he invented it, so, you know, the Gatling gun, so, oh, okay, so it was a hand-cranked gun that had a uh, gravity-fed magazine from the top. Okay. So a person would turn it, like, with a crank handle. Yeah. And it would load each shell and fire at the bottom, so yeah. it would load at the top and go through and cycle through. So it was a very, very rudimentary style of... Um, Machine gun, basically. Mm-hmm. Hand cranked, which had problems because people would get excited and crank too fast and ruin the whole timing of the mechanism. But um, the reason the guy invented it was because he'd lost all his kids, mm-hmm. like his sons, during the war. Right. And he was just like, well, if I can come up with this thing that can fire way faster, yeah. they'll need less children to go on the battlefield. It's like, no, 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 you're just going to kill more, more children. children. Like, yeah. You know. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's tough. If I build this giant bomb, no one will use it, and everyone will be scared to go to war with each other. It's like, no, yeah, then you just end up in this weird it never, system it never works that way. where you are now, where everyone's terrified of everybody else, so you just fight shadow wars by paying one side and supplying one side mm-hmm. with armors, uh, um, armament and shit. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, every at this current point in time, hopefully it doesn't escalate, and hopefully some like cooler heads come around. But it's like, no one was going to attack Russia, so everybody used the opportunity not to let Ukraine get rolled over yeah. by just f- funding and giving Ukraine a bunch of shit to fight Russia with. Yeah. Like, because Russia, you know, you're looking at it, how it, how it would have gone if they hadn't have had, the, you know, they lost Crimea, and they basically got rolled over, and then, like, it was weird, because I was, like, the only buddy talking about it for ages. In um, the world. No, not in the world. I'm just saying, like, within being a New Zealander, we're so far away from yeah. Europe. Like, most people don't really give a shit. And it's just like, hey, you guys watching what the hell's going on in Ukraine at the moment? Everyone's like, what's going on in Ukraine? I'm like, literally, like, the Russians being like, oh, well, it's not our troops. They're literally on weekend. It's like, we can't control what they do on their time off. It's like... The same guys who were fighting in the other, like, weird wars they've had around their border. Like, you can understand it from both points of view. Like, the agreement, I think, was 91, 94. Um, Russia said, well, like, you can keep your sovereignty, but we don't want the UN, not the UN, the EU building closer like keep building military bases closer and closer to our country like you're encroaching on our border and that just everybody just keep pushing the limit and it's there's a lot of that in the middle east as well where it's just like well you know you 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 could be a sovereign country in the middle and just play being played as a somebody else's big pawn in a in a, in a war that you know will affect only the people that live there and it really sucks Sorry, did I go for a big rant? You're just like yeah. looking on your face like what? Yeah. 
Sorry. I was going to segue into something, and then you, and then you've changed the subject. You changed the subject about five times. Yeah. So I like. Uh, I was going to say you you had ancestors who fought in World War One, right? Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Probably. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure that bayonet up there and those sun uh, those but no, I was going to say sunglasses. Binoculars. The binoculars are from World War Two. Yeah. Um, Which are family heirlooms. Yeah. You know my my ancestors were doing during World War One, did you? Starving to death? No, they were taking advantage of the fact that the British troops were out of Ireland and starting a revolution. Oh right. To become an independent. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, it was like like, <laughs> like most of the time, people forget the other victims. Like. For World War... You've got a weird look on your face. I don't know what you're talking about. I'll explain. (laughs) Um, Because you know how... Talking of what your independence... Mm -hmm. You know how India got independence, eh? I... I, Vaguely. So to fund the war effort in World War II, the UK basically bankrupted their entire country. Mm -hmm. And then at the end were like, oh, we don't need you anymore. You can have your independence now. Here you go. Yeah. You wanted freedom, right? There you go. Yeah, no we, money, we, though. But... We can't afford to keep policing you, so we're just yeah. going to leave. Yeah. Anyway, what, back, I, was, what, back... I, what I was going to say was, not back to the movies, I oh, was going right. to say, if you at home had relatives that oh, fought I in... Oh, I see what it is. Yeah, yeah, you'd see where I'm going with this. If you at home listening had relatives who who fought in World War One or World War Two or any anything where they were photographed... Um, a hundred years ago, or so, and you have those photographs. Um, and they're they're old and maybe a bit worn, or you know, just the fact that they're that they're, you know, monotone, they're sepia or grayscale. Um, if you would like to get those photos restored or colorized or both, you can do so at photorestorenz.com. And you can even get 25% off if you use the promo code It Takes Two when you check out. I'm speechless. That was such a good segue. Like Yeah, I was like, oh, we're talking about war. We can get into this. You know, we're talking about a real war that happened 100 years ago. If people have photos. It doesn't just have to be photos of, of dead relatives. Yeah, um, so if you can be, it can be anything. From... from <laughs> The Great War and World War Two or Vietnam or Gulf War or whatever. Yeah, any any war that anyone. <laughs> yeah, doesn't just have to be war, folks. If you um, just have a regular photo, yeah, they do that as well. Yep. Um. So if you got any photos, even even digital photos that you've taken, um, that are just a little blurry or they're they've been compressed by social media, you don't have the originals anymore, um, you can get those uh restored. So it's a they use an AI that they've designed to restore photos. We've talked about it in depth in the last couple of episodes because I got a bunch of photos done for them. Um, and those examples are actually on a Discord. Yes. Yeah, so so if, you can see before you buy because I think a lot of people... Because the word AI at the moment is getting thrown around in the trash because you know there's digital artists out there who physically paint digital paintings and then you can go onto a website and be like... I want a picture of a stegosaurus riding Bill Clinton 
into the over the no man's land in World War One, and it'll go blip, and there's your yeah. image. And the problem is that there a lot of the big open source kind of AIs out there are um, using databases of real artists um, and using their copyright material without their permission. Yeah. So this is not that. This is an AI designed by the owners of the company specifically to restore photos, um, and do, they do a pretty darn good job. Yeah, um, comp together a, a picture of a chimpanzee. Yeah, yep. Other pictures of the same chimpanzee. Yep, yep. They had to teach it how went, to deter... Yeah, not even just a chimp- chimpanzee. Like, they went and found the specific yeah, chimpanzee. that's crazy. Um, yeah, because they're, they're a pretty, pretty new company, so... Um, I'm excited to see them, um, you know, get on their feet and, and get more customers. So if you've got any photos. Also, um, I think I mentioned with the previous episodes, but they're, like, ridiculously cheap, in my opinion. So uh, even without the 25% discount, it's uh, a really good value for your money. Um, so, yeah, if you've got, you know, people's birthdays coming up or something like that. Anniversaries, grandparents, something along those lines. Yeah, I mean, if you've got, you know, parents or grandparents who have old black and white photos of themselves that you want to get colorized and... and Break into your grandparents' house, steal Um, their wedding photos, send them to the website, (laughs) use our promo code it takes two in checkout, then then replace them with crispy, crispy, colorized things and never tell them. Uh, I should mention also that the... Um, one of the things they've done with the photos that I sent them is like they've made basically really high resolution images so like they're much larger images so um, you can get photos that were originally you know pretty small photos that you've scanned and and put through and uh, you'll be able to get back one that's high enough quality that you can like print it on a larger scale if you want to Um, yeah so a really good gift for someone else or a really good uh Gift for yourself. <laughs> you know, just buy yourself some some photos. Buy yourself a photo yeah. yourself. I mean, I'm definitely. I think I'm. I'll probably use it again. Once I, I did, but I'll put more thought into what I want to get next time. Because last time I was like, "Well, let's just throw things at this and let's see what try it, does. it out." Um. So yeah, with that promo code, it takes two twenty five percent off. Yeah. Anyway. Photo restore with an F. Yes, mm. I did, I forgot to mention it's with an F. Yes, yeah. photo restore nz dot com and it's. Photo with an F, so F O T O or E S T O or E N Z dot com. You're fun just spelling that out. All right, um, no, it's it's they're both really well done. Like, what I will touch on, um, the the moments. That from the, uh, oh, oh, I'm going to have to look this up of what day it was. Hang on, be with me for two seconds. The CBS Made for TV movie. Oh, okay. The reason I brought that up is because it was uh, 1979. You, do you know who Ernest Borgnine is? I know the name. I can't picture him, but okay. I'm sure I've seen him in things. This guy. Okay. No, not f- super familiar. Um, this is an audio media, so the uh, right, yeah. Um, <laughs> the folks at home didn't just see that picture because we're not recording anything. Uh, so what was the latest stuff that he did? Uh, I know the name. Yeah. Certainly. Uh, he's in. Wow, he did a lot of stuff. Yeah, a lot of actors from that era 
are in. So the TV Overwatch. show that I watched him in the most, he was in Magnum PI, but there was a show, Earwolf. 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 Oh, Airwolf. So it was like Knight Rider. Okay. Except a heli- attack helicopter. Oh, lovely. All right. Sounds good. Um, so the two sequences that I thought were... <laughs> That's li- just, that was just a, a side and a side and it's not relevant to what you were actually saying. No, it is yeah. relevant. Okay. So he plays Cat's role. Okay. In, in the TV movie, right? Mm-hmm. So he plays the mentor, the, the veteran that's been there for a long time and tell, telling the you kids to, like, you know, not get die, yeah. um, not be unalived um, by the French. The um, Stanislaus Kaczynski yeah. is Kat's full name in Berlin. Yeah, I could not say that if you paid me to. <laughs> um, I can barely speak English. Why did I choose a podcast? I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> my point being, so the two sequences that really stuck out, stuck out, stuck out, um, from the... They stuck out, they? Yeah, from the movie with Ernest Borgnoiners, the sequence where he ends up in the trench with the French soldier, mm-hmm. and spoilers, their entire podcast is spoilers, but spoilers, um, Cat's death. Yeah. So the in the book and the adaptation with Ernest Borgnine, um, the sequence where um, please pronounce his name for me again. Powell. 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 Yeah, you just just pronounce the A and the U separately, as if they're you just pronounce the two different letters. Okay. Powell. Powell. Yeah. <laughs> um, when he ends up in the trench during during you know a, a, a crossing over no man's land a, a push, um, he ends up in a trench. In the in this version, he the French guy ends up getting blown into the trench and he stabs the shit out of him mm. and then like feels guilt and tries to help him and he dies. In the TV version that I'd watched previously to this, um, he gets stabbed and it's like he stabs him and the same thing sort of happens. It's at night and um, he stabs him in the stomach mm-hmm. and then again has the sequence where he's like feels guilty and he tries to help him and he literally through the entire night because he can't leave because he doesn't know which direction his line is. Yeah. He... The French dude is, like, suffering and bleeding to death. And he has this giant, like, introspective moment of, like, you know, we could have been friends. We live next to each other. Like, do you like fishing? I like fishing. We could have gone fishing together. Like, why are we here? Why are we killing each other? He says all that. I think it's either an internal monologue or him speaking, because I can't remember that well. Because I got... That's the impression I got from the performance in this version. That it was internalised. Yeah, Yeah. like, you could see that on the guy's face. Yeah. And in his actions. Um, Because there's a couple of times that that happens, where he comes face to face with a soldier, and you can see the realisation of, like, this is just... Stupid. This is just another young man. Yeah. Like this, this guy, he because he knows what his situation is that he's been brought into this under the false pretenses of it being, you know, glorified. We're marching on Paris by the end of the year. Yeah, and and he knows like the hardships he's been put through, and him seeing his friends die, whatever, and like you see these moments where he 
where he just suddenly sees the humanity in the person in front of him yeah. and he and he hesitates and he's like without saying anything and i think that's powerful um that he you can see that he's looking at this person being like this is just a guy this is just someone else who's in the same situation who's been put here by someone in power who doesn't who's never going to die as a result of this who is just doing his best and trying to survive the way i'm trying to survive yeah um cuz you see it again at the end of the movie um, cause there's the guy that he like falls into the, falls down the trench fighting and then they kind of step back from each other and you see him kind of, they both just stop. Yeah. But then he gets, spoiler alert, stabbed from behind. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, I think it's pretty sad. But, um, yeah. So you, do you think it was done better in the I just think CBS from version? a, because this movie is... Uh, made by a German director. Mm-hmm. It's in German. Yeah. Um, the they've not held back on covering their actors, so you can barely see their faces, which is uh, a one of the things that's like at the moment very topical of like how much do you hide your actors? Mm-hmm. Mandalorian did it really well. Halo. Needs to burn in a fire. Um, the yeah, the, you're right. That his acting is very powerful. Yeah. But if you didn't know that, you know, if you didn't have that background, I don't know if you would get as much impact. What background? From seeing the the other adaptation or reading the book. I haven't seen any other adaptation. I know, but you're you're saying that that whole moment was very powerful, but you yeah yeah. But it, you didn't have the context of like, um, what the context that I had from the the previous movie. Yeah. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that even without that context, that's what I read into it. Yeah. Which is this? So I think they did it well because as someone who doesn't have the context, I was able to read that that that's what he was thinking. Yeah, I'm just saying some audiences would miss out because the you know the actors are covered in mud and it's in German. Yeah, I just think it. I I mean, personally, I think it's better filmmaking to do it the way they've done it. Yeah, um, I agree with if you. Because if you if it's all exposition, it's like why are you like you don't need to tell me all this. Yeah, I can I, see because like I can empathize with him as a human, and I can see that he's empathizing with another human. There was another thing that reminded me of that story about two gang members playing Russian roulette. Man, what? high school English was a time, man. Okay. Um, the other sequence, obviously, is, is Kat's death. Yeah. Because um, I, I think in... You know when they're going across the field and they're talking about the future? Mm-hmm. And talking about, like, I'm a cobbler, like, you have to go to university, you friggin' idiot. Like, yeah, yeah. I think that sequence, I could be wrong... Could be wrong. It's been a long time since this is the movie. Um, I think that sequence happens after Cat gets shot. Oh, okay. So he's carrying him down the road, talking about their future together, and All then right. only when he gets to the um, the Medicaid station, where the dude's just like, "You could have saved your chance. Your friend's dead." Yeah. Sorry. We used apologize for. You just like I stopped sentence and you expected me to carry on and there was a dead end. Oh, okay, sorry. You were just like not paying attention to what I was doing. I'm not. I wasn't not paying attention. I was trying to f- 
to see, I was going to very quickly bring up the plot summary of the book to see what way happens in the book, to see if it's mentioned in the Because I think thing. he goes home in the book, doesn't he? I'm pretty sure he goes home in No, it. in the book he's killed. Oh, okay. In the book he's killed on in October 1918. He's killed, because the, 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 the title of the book comes from, so I don't think in the book... A I, report. Yeah, in the yeah. book, I don't think it's the day that the ceasefire is happening. Yeah, I think that's, but I think that's like very sad and powerful in the movie. But in the book, it's so it's about a month before the ceasefire, October. Um, but he's killed on a day that's otherwise remarkably peaceful, and and the report to the the officials is all it's all quiet on the western front. Like there's no, yeah. there was no news today. Yeah. Um, and that's you know where it comes from that like he's had everything taken from him and then he dies and that's just not even news yeah um, could you imagine a day in our modern era was just no news <laughs> could you imagine yeah. how people would freak out just not knowing what the hell was going on with like you know some decade getting arrested for human trafficking in romania was it romania was what romania the that stupid andrew dude was it romania that he got arrested in I don't know. Was it Bulgarian? Or, I don't know. I yeah. don't remember. And then, now. like, you know, one of the, <laughs> one of the creators of, I like... I don't care enough about him, to be creators honest. Creators of uh, Rick and Morty being done for, like, grooming kids and, like, you know, how... Could you imagine how peaceful the world would be and how happy everyone was if there was just nothing for news? What's the news? Oh, the weather's nice. Yeah. Some people played some sport. The the wiki plot summary for the book doesn't doesn't specify... Um, well, how, how cat's death happens oh, yeah. um, so I don't know not helpful. Um, I did want to talk about this, the, the scene with cat's death um, in that I think it is like remarkably paralleled in 1917 um, because except in 1917 it happens near the beginning of the movie whereas in, in All Quiet in the Western Front it's uh, it's towards the end, but it's in both cases it is two soldiers who have been stationed together and fighting together and surviving together arrive at a farmhouse and try to get food and then one of them is fatally wounded by someone at that farmhouse and uh, dies before the other one can get them to a medic. Yeah. Um, and it's sad in both movies, but I do like watching, because we watched All Quiet on the Western Front first, and watching 1917 and that scene happening, I was like, this is weirdly paralleling them. Yeah. And I don't know if it's deliberate, because later on, um, the, uh, Schofield meets, or comes across two German soldiers that he, that he kills, or I think he only kills one of them. Does he only kill one of them? Yeah, he, he kills, kills one, one of them. His shoulder barges the other one. Yeah, and gets, gets out of the way. And their names are Boimer and Muller, and they're, yeah. which are two of the uh, the friends in in All Quiet on the Western Front. So it does intentionally reference the the book, but um, I don't know if it was if it was if that was a deliberate reference that yeah. that he's killed at a farmhouse. I thought that was interesting. It's Probably. really weird sequence Mm -hmm. um because i looked it up and 
a lot of people have like a, a theory, but I don't think the filmmakers or the writers have ever come out and specified. So for those who don't know, World War One was weird, as I've explained previously in this episode. Just in case you didn't know, it was weird. Um, I reference a movie, no, not a movie, a song that happened recently because it was Christmas. We all know it as Snoopy's Christmas. Talking about Snoopy the dog mm-hmm. fighting in World War One over the Battle of Europe in a biplane and getting shot down by the Red Baron. Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting about this whole concept about pilots is they were like another level. Mm-hmm. You had to be from a wealthy family, you had to be highly educated, and that was the only way you were being given a plane. This is like, do you know what a plane is? And they'd be like, yeah, it's a, it's a flying thing. It's like, cool, we'll put guns on them. Have fun, bye-bye. Because <laughs> um, I told you, I looked in the cockseat, uh, the cockseat, the, the cockpit of the Tiger Moth mm-hmm. when it was taken down, right? For those who don't know, it was a plane. Anyway, um, not relevant, but... <laughs> For the, those who the, don't know, it was a plane. It was a, it was a singular, <laughs> singular-winged plane, not a, not a biplane or the crazy triplanes that they came out with. Um, less powered engines, more wings, more lift. Um crazy timing belts for the machine guns so you don't shoot through your own propeller because um, the machine guns like leveled behind next to the pilot in between the propeller and you know weird weird placement but you know timing belts worked it out um, they have like liquid bubbles like what you'd use to measure a shelf mm-hmm. as instruments inside those old planes mm-hmm. um, do you want to make sure you're upright? Yeah. You don't know you're up from your dad. Yeah. Like, bananas. Absolutely bananas. Like, in comparison to today. Like, today everything's done by... You can't check how much fuel there is in your plane without 17 different computers telling you, you know... um, You know, the, the concept of, you know, being able to launch missiles at targets that you can't even physically see. It's, it's bananas. Um, versus literally having to fly up to somebody and shoot them with a gun. Um, but they were a different class. They mm-hmm. were like the elite. Yep. And special treatment was given to them um, by basically it was basically the equivalent of giving like how we have the Geneva Convention and you can't kill prisoners. Mm-hmm. Even in World War One, where there was none of that and people were getting gassed left, right and centre... And, you know, obviously, you know, civilians were getting killed in the crossfire, and especially in the early days of the war. Um, it was basically battlefield etiquette if you shot down a plane. Like, that, the person wasn't taken as a POW mm-hmm. and sent to prison. The person was taken a POW and then given back. Right. Because they were the, they were the upper crust. They weren't, like, they weren't the regular dirty in the trenches ground troops. Yeah. There's a really famous photo of, I think it's an RAF pilot, getting a haircut in between flights. Mm-hmm. And, but, like, he was just like, well, I'm a bit scruffy, boys, you know, and tidy it all up, and I'll get back in my plane and go shoot down Jerry again. Like, that's how 
mm-hmm. up across the thing. You know, you're rolling your eyes. Cause... I know. I was going to say, and if they wanted to, they could restore that photo. That photo restore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you have that original, if that was the per, if that's in your personal collection photo, uh, I don't think that's a. I think it's a pretty well known photo. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, just absolutely bananas. And just it, it, all, every single year, at every single Christmas, I've re- I'm reminded because of how bananas Snoopy's Christmas. If you don't know what I'm talking about with Snoopy's Christmas, like look it up because it mm-hmm. is a very famous. It's famous in New Zealand. I don't know if it's. Is it? A, have you heard it before? You can. Do you know the song I'm talking about? I don't know the song. I'm very. You familiar. don't know the song. You've you've mentioned the song to me, but I don't think I I wouldn't be familiar with the song. I think people in the United States would be. Yeah. I think Peanuts was really big in the United States and I think the the Snoopy, the Charlie Brown cartoons and things yeah. were, were famous there. Um where they weren't as big in Ireland. But I like I collected Snoopy comics in like the um compilation books of them. But I didn't I wasn't into the um Christmas bells, oh Christmas bells singing through the land. Yeah. We're gonna have to pay copyright. <laughs> it was less than 30 seconds and my tone is completely off no AI would be able to pick that up yeah. Um, but yeah the, it's one of my um, somebody I know's like favourite Christmas song you know mm-hmm. why? because there's no covers of it right okay. no one does a cover of Snoopy's Christmas well we'll release one what, why? We c- I can't sing I you can sing yeah. I've heard you sing okay I'm not going to sing I don't know it so I can't sing okay it. I'll learn it and we can release our own yeah. Snoopy's Christmas Snoopy cover. fights the Red, the Baron, Red Baron and he gets shot down. And mm-hmm. instead of getting taken prisoner, they just hang out and have Christmas dinner. Yeah, of course they do. <sighs> <laughs> it was a weird time. Anyway, I, were you going to connect that to the pilot landing in the movie? Yes, so the pilot lands in the movie <laughs> and just stabs Blake up. And I was just like, that probably yeah. wouldn't have happened. Well, and I Googled they, it. They pull him out and then they're like, oh no, don't. Because Schofield is like, do we kill him? And Blake's like, no, no, get him some water. He yeah. needs water. We need to look after him. Yeah. And then the, the German pilot just... And like the explanation out. is like, oh, he was confused and injured. It's like... So or your response he... to someone helping you is to stab them. Like, what? Well, he couldn't understand what they were saying. He didn't speak English. So maybe he thought they were going to kill him. Yeah. And he wanted to kill him. But then why wouldn't they have just left him in the burning plane? (laughs) Maybe he thought they were taking him as a prisoner of war. But they weren't allowed to. They had to give him the pack. He might not have known that. I'm pretty sure it was well known by 1917. Uh, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's weird to me. Weird, weird sequence. Crazy. Man, it would have been terrifying seeing a tank for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what they were showing in yeah. in All Quiet in the Western Front when they when they look over the trench and they don't know. Holy yeah. shit! Do you think? Because we're releasing this before the Oscars. Well, we're recording this before the Oscar nominations have been announced. But there is no way All Quiet in the Western Front is not getting an international feature nomination. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, do you think it's going to win Best International Feature? I don't know. Um, I'd have to see, I'd have to see what, I would have to be at my productions when I've seen everything else. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, because I know it, it's part of your, um, I was going to say regiment, but I don't think that's the right word. I think my brain's just fully mm-hmm. in military thinking at the moment. 
um, schedule's not the right word. Uh, ritual? No, mm-hmm. that's too... Yeah, that works. Yeah, your, your ritual to then watch everything that's nominated. So you yeah, can, I try to watch as many yeah. nominees as possible so that I can, you know, have a fair judgment on what I think will and can and should win. Yeah. Because I like watching the Oscars every year. Wolf Walkers. <laughs> Wolf Walkers didn't win. Still um, calling out for Wolf Walkers? Uh, which I haven't... A movie I haven't seen yet, but I think is possibly going to win Best Animated Feature is Marcel with the Shell with Shoes On, which I need to watch. Marcel with Shell. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Oh I Michelle can't even say it. Marcel the Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Marcel the... Marcel. Marshmallow, marshmallow no, okay. you're with just, shoes on. You're just making fun of me at this yes, point. Yes, I am. Um, I think... She sells seashells. So this is going to be a ridiculous thing to say in this podcast episode because by the time it's released... Um, People will already know whether or not this has happened. I think All Quiet on the Western Front is going to be one of the ten nominees for Best Picture. I think Ooh. it's. I think it's not only going to be Best International Feature. I think it's going to be nominated for Best Picture, and then if it is nominated for Best Picture and doesn't win Best International Feature, then that's going to be a mess because. If something else wins Best International Feature and it was nominated for Best Picture, they'd be like, "Wait, why wasn't this other thing nominated?" I also hope that um, on Colleen Kuhn is nominated for Best Best International Feature, but I don't think it's going to win. And I don't necessarily think it should win. I think this was a better film. Controversial statements there. Yeah, but I would love... It's shortlisted, and I would love for on Colleen Kuhn to be nominated because if it is, it is the first film in the Irish language to be nominated for Best International Feature. Wait, we watched that, didn't we? I watched it, you didn't. Sure, I watched it. What was the movie that I watched? I don't know. What did you watch? What do you mean? I watched a movie that was in Irish. What was it? What happened to it? I don't remember. I watched a lot. I watched an exorbitant amount of movies. <laughs> I don't know what you watched in Irish. What did you watch in Irish? I don't remember. Was it about a little girl who is sent to live with her... Cousins because, um, I don't know, she's like one of like six sisters and she goes to live with them because they lost a child and she's, she starts to come out of her shell and then ends up having to go home. Maybe not. No, I, I, you didn't watch it with me, so, unless you watched it by yourself, which would be surprising. Yeah. I don't know what, what Irish language film have you seen? I don't know. Okay. I'm confused now. You'll have to check Letterboxd. Um, <laughs> we are on Letterboxd, by the way. Yeah, folks. we are on Letterboxd. You, if you want sneaky behind-the-scenes of movies we watch that aren't related to the podcast. Mm. We're also on YouTube. Are you going to mention that? Oh, yeah, because it's months ago. Yeah, we're... <laughs> it was months ago, Lisa. Let it go. Because um, I hadn't... Because uh, it won't have been mentioned in previous episodes because I hadn't done it yet, even though true. we pre-recorded them. And we have a Discord. Yeah. Um, do we? Is there anything more you want to say about the films generally, or do you want to get into trivia and things? No, I'm very sweaty. It is very warm in here. Um, I did want to talk about music. I thought music, the music was good, but yeah, because there are more scores than like your your standard. Mm. You know, Taika Waititi does a good job of putting music into movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, I know, but like and... even as scores go, I think there were notably good scores. Yeah. Um, I think 
I, I had to look up um, the person who did All Quiet on the Western Front score because it sounded a lot like the music in Dark to me. And I was like, is it the person who had Dark? Um, but it was not. It's a uh, composer named Volker Bertelmann. And uh, this is not the first film we featured on the podcast that that person did the music for, because they also did the music for Ammonite, which is interesting. Um, 1917, the music was done by Thomas Newman, who was like, I love Thomas Newman's music in general, so it was no wonder that I was like, ooh, I like this music. Um, My favorite Thomas Newman score would be either Road to Perdition or Finding Nemo. (laughs) He's done a few um, Pixar movies, a few Bond films. He's been. I looked him up because I was assuming he'd been. No, he'd won Oscars before. He's never won an Oscar, Thomas Newman. He's been nominated fifteen times. Jesus. Sometimes on on two occasions he had two nominations in the same year. Well, at least he's getting work. Yeah, oh, he gets lots of work. I mean, he did uh, Shawshank Redemption, American Beauty. Uh, he's done all the recent Bond films. Like he's. You know, he's prolific. Um, Didn't Billie Eilish one sing for the Bond film? Yeah. Yeah. Original song. Yeah. Um, yeah, Thomas Newman has been... I think he, he's nominated for... Oh, yeah, he was nominated for original song for Wally, I think. Hmm. Is that right? I, think, I don't know. Or, or find, he was nominated for one of the Pixar ones he did. He was nominated for original song. And then other than that, all, I think all of his other nominations have been for score. Um, but he never won. Which is shocking. I will say one thing that annoyed mm-hmm. the shit out of me watching um, All Quiet in the Western Front is yep. the uh, Netflix, man. You gotta do something about your friggin' subtitles. Yeah, so we watch it in German with English subtitles, but the English subtitles, like, included audio, dis- or not audio description, but, like, descriptions of, like, background sounds and things. Yeah. Um, so annoying. Yeah, because I would have liked to just have subtitles of what was said yeah. without, like, Ominous wolf. music plays. Ominous, ominous music playing. Yeah. Wolf noises. Yeah, you know. loud, loud noise. You're like gunfire. It's like I can hear. Th- actually, yeah. there's gunfire. If if you want to have subtitles for people who have hearing um, issues, well done. Like make that an option. Yeah, but have but, it as a separate option. But have it as a separate option, not friggin'. Yeah, because yeah. we because I double checked that we were weren't in the wrong. Yeah. Um, subtitle thing, and I was like, no, okay, that's weird. Um, I also want to shout out the uh, the guy who played Powell, your friend Powell Boimer. Okay. Uh, this is his first thing he's ever acted in. Hmm. He was fantastic. He was really good. So his name is Felix Camera. <laughs> I had to like double check how to pronounce his last name. Felix is a name I know, but I was like, Cam Camera Camera Camera. I'm not even gonna try. Camera. Yeah. Um, he's fantastic, and also um, oh, he's 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 Austrian, and this is his first film. But also um, George Mackay, who plays uh, Lance Corporal Schofield in nineteen seventeen, they look like they could be brothers. If you showed me those two actors and talk, like if you just took a picture of each of them and like put them next to each other and were like, oh yeah, these guys are two brothers who are actors, I'd be like, oh cool. All the monarchy and leadership during World War One were all like cousins, so it's not surprising. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't think either of these actors are related. Re- are actually related. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was interesting that like 
you know, we're comparing these two films with these main characters that we're following, you know, on their journey to try and survive the war on the Western Front, and yet the actors, like, are strikingly similar looking. Mm. Um, I just thought it was interesting. But I did, yeah, I just I just really appreciated um, how how good of a job he did on this, if, with this being his first role. Because, um, yeah, I thought it was really well. Whereas uh, George Mackay's first role was in 2003 in Peter Pan. So he's been around for a while. Fair. And uh, also, 1917 had like a ridiculous amount of. Oh, yeah, it was hilarious watching your, your response to all the like supporting cast. It was like, oh, and... Colin Firth is in this. And it's like, oh, okay. Oh, all right. And, you know, because, uh, you know, Andrew Scott, who else is that? Mark Strong. I recognize Mark Strong's voice before yeah. he even spoke. Or, sorry, before he even. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Before they showed his face, I meant to say. I recognize okay. his voice before they showed his face. Um. And he had like Benedict Cumberbatch showing up, Richard Madden. Yeah. It was like a ridiculous cast. Apparently, so when I was looking at, um, you know, trivia afterwards, uh, apparently, how part of how they got so so many people into it was um, that they literally just promised that they wouldn't have to do any kind of um, promo for it. Huh. So literally, I, I swear I took that down, but I'm like. I can't even see where where it taken down. I just remember saying it. Um, did I not write that down? I, but anyway, it's it's a true fact anyway. Apparently, that they just um, the reason they were able to get so many people to play like just really small parts in it was that they didn't have to do a single bit of promo for it. They didn't have to mention it in an interview or do any kind of press. Um, and they were like, "Yeah, all right, we'll do it." Uh, one of the, the trivia facts, this is this is fun. I've taken this down because I know for a fact that it's false. And I was like, why is this in the trivia? So this is in the IMDb trivia for 1917. It says, the fourth film that Colin Firth has appeared in that went on to win Best Picture. He previously appeared in The English Patient, Shakespeare in Love, and The King's Speech. Okay. 1917 didn't win Best Picture. Parasite won. Weird. <laughs> so whoever wrote that is in like... So it's a Mandela yeah, effect. Yeah, someone's in a Mandela effect. Someone came over from another universe to write yeah. that 1917 one best picture but it's damn bears with the Jewish heritage um Parasite won that year and Parasite rightfully Parasite is a fantastic film yeah I love Parasite but I did enjoy 1917 yeah um it's beautifully shot well acted um there's a lot of suspension of disbelief in it though there's a lot of like you know like um, the plane, the plane that's shot down happens to come right at them, yeah. even though we're in the middle of nowhere. Um, the the second that Blake dies, suddenly there's an entire squad of other soldiers, even yeah. though they've been traveling across the land alone for ages, and like suddenly there's like a hundred other soldiers just happen to be right there. They're like, oh hey, what are you doing? Um. What did I say? I said Schrodinger's Sh- milk. Schrodinger's milk, yeah. He finds milk and then later on... So Chekhov's milk. Chekhov's milk. You did say Schrodinger's milk at the time, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. But yeah, he finds milk and then he pours it in his thing and never drinks it. And then he finds a woman with a baby and she's like, the baby needs milk. And he's like, oh, I've got milk. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, he like ends up in a river and washed down a waterfall and then he like washes ashore right at the spot where the soldiers that he's trying to get the message to are, it, yeah. none of it makes any sense. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's a lot less realistic. It's more, much more fantastical than 
um, or quite in the western front. I think that's part of why also I was like, oh yeah, I can connect this with Lord of the Rings. <laughs> but I will have to say that the cinematography the entire time was fantastic. Yes, cinematography is fantastic. And that is, it did win an Oscar for that. Yeah, that's um, true. It was nominated for 10 Oscars and it won three. It won cinematography, visual effects and sound mixing. Yeah. Um, anyway, trivia. Let's do, let's do a bit of trivia. I've, I've taken a lot of trivia, but um, I'll try to just skim through it so we're not recording for like another 10 hours um I'd leave. this is one that i thought you'd find interesting um the what the the director uh um it says edward i assume his name is edvard it's just spelt the same as edward i'm okay. assuming it's a german he's german so uh edvard berger um he got someone named Marek Svitek to train the acting team on the, uh, the the shooting scenes, and they were trained in military simulation using real firearms. I'm talking. You're talking about all quiet in the western. All quiet in the western yeah. front. Yes. Yeah. Like, that's a lot of German people for a. <laughs> <laughs> for 1917. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. So they were uh, they were trained like they did a they did like actual military training essentially with real firearms yeah. to uh, to learn to do. All the shooting in the film. Because that's how they got the performance out of um, the crew and Saving Private Ryan, as they had a boot camp together, and the only person that wasn't invited was your boy. My boy. Your one. Which one is Who's my boy? Um, is it me? Mark, Mark Watney. Yeah. <laughs> my boy, Mark Watney. Um... I already mentioned that they, they marked in the order that they die... Um, yeah, and that, hang on, skip all these. Um, skip. Yeah, I think, actually, I've, I think I've already mentioned most of the trivia that I had for All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, in 1917, so, uh, there seems to be a misconception that 1917 is all, like, one continuous shot. Yeah, no, is no. They could There's no way to do that. So the longest continuous shot in it is eight and a half minutes long. Yeah. Um, and there were 48 cuts in total throughout the film. So there's 48 shots. Yeah. Which is not, I mean... Yeah. In comparison to any movie that has Liam Neeson in it and they need 17 shots of him just climbing over a bloody fence. Yeah. yeah. Um, so 30... Yeah, so the first... Sorry, the, the shortest unbroken shot was 39 seconds. So mm. there's one, one shot that's only 39 seconds. And then the longest one is eight and a half, so the rest are in the in the middle there. So probably most of them are four or five minutes long. Um, it's inspired by uh, Sir Sam Mendes' uh, grandfather's experience World War One, uh, based on his autobiography, which is just called it's very blandly titled the Autobiography of Alfred H. Mendes, eighteen ninety seven to nineteen ninety one. Um, so uh, Alfred Mendes was he entered the war. At age 17 in 1916, he was five foot four. So um, when it was winter time, there was quite often a mist that reached as high as six feet um, across no man's land and the, the, you know, the areas, the whole the front, essentially. Yeah. Um, so being that he was uh, five foot four, they used him as a messenger quite often because he could get across without being seen because the mist would cover him entirely. Um, so, yeah, he, but he also then had, I think it it sounds like he developed a form of OCD from his experience in the trenches, just being covered in mud 
constantly for two years. He he became obsessed with washing his hands all the time, and but he didn't speak to anyone about his wartime experiences until he was in his seventies, and then he oh, wrote wow. this autobiography, which inspired um his grandson to make this film, which is interesting. Um, so the there were they dug actual trenches for this film. Yeah. Um, so they dug, a, a bit over a one and a half kilometers of trenches, um. And they did that in uh, Wiltshire, Hankley Common, and Govan, Scotland. Hopefully nowhere on the border of the f- French, because they might get a bit of a... No, I think those are all in the UK. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. We're, we're all right. Um, but the there were conservationists who were um, concerned that they could potentially disturb undiscovered remains in the area. So they requested an archaeological survey be conducted before any set construction began. So they did a full archaeological survey of the area first before they constructed the trenches to make sure that they weren't going to disturb um, any... That's any... so UK meter. <laughs> Don't dig a hole, you might discover dead bodies in there. What are you digging a hole for? Oh, we're going to place that there's dead bodies there. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think it's good, you know, the conservationists were... Yeah. were informed and were able to get that consent to do the archaeological dig first to make sure that there was no, you know, um, nothing that they were going to disturb. Um, apparently there was a quote from one of the extras who said that they can't help but laughing at the final shot of the film. So the, the opening and the ending of the film, 1917, are book, are book ended yeah. with um, Schofield sitting up against a tree with his eyes closed. Yeah. Um, one, you know, before they're sent to the mission and the other when he's finally achieved everything he was trying to achieve. Um, but uh, apparently they had no idea that the ending was going to take place on that tree. So about a hundred extras used that frequently to urinate on because the toilets were too far away. Wow. So when he's like sitting there at that tree, he's like, it's where all of the extras were pissing. Rough. Which is hilarious. Um, yeah, only four... Soldiers are shown to be killed on in, in combat in the film, which is crazy yeah. for a war movie, especially one that is like relatively brutal. It's uh, shocking that there's only actually four four people shown to die. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's about it. I didn't bother to look at budget well, and box yeah, office because a... one of them's a Netflix production. Yeah, um, and also I couldn't find the budget for uh, All Quiet on the Western Front anyway. Um, but I, I saw like a claim that it was the most expensive German production on Netflix, but I feel like that's not too difficult. Like, yeah. I don't know. Um, you know, it's got, it's going to be nominated for at least one Oscar, so it makes sense. Um, but yeah, anyway, they're both, both good films, I think. Both well-made films. Yeah. Um... No complaints for me. Yeah, well, you love war movies. Yeah. So you'd just be happy watching any movie about war. Um. Yeah, it's it's um. It's interesting. Because of yeah, I just, I don't agree with you on certain points, but like you know, what? Just you, you, your anti-war. Yeah. You don't agree with being anti-war. No. You want us all to to fight each other forever. No. Just I'm just saying that if we can't live in a in a 
humans aren't developed enough for us to live in, in peace with each other. I think that's a shame. I know it's a shame. I'm just saying that the, the, the truth is not always what you want to hear. I think there's a lot of unnecessary war, then. Yeah. Anyway, on I that note... I think there's a lot of... I think there's a lot of... Um, which, like I said, All Quiet on the Western Front does a good job of, of depicting. I think there's a lot of glorification of war. Yeah, war, a... war, if war was just a necessity, is one thing. But war, when people are glorifying it and saying, you know, like, oh, you're going to do everyone proud and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, but that's about manipulating it. the young into yeah. joining up because you're just like, hey, you're going to go suffer for years until you get shot. Have fun. Bye. They'd be yeah. just like, fuck you. I'm not doing that. Um, well, I think that's a more honest approach to it. And I think it's like a huge problem I have with the whole system is the manipulation and the fact that they target young and vulnerable people. Yeah, because um, they're the people you want as soldiers. And especially vulnerable people because they like, a lot of places will give incentives for people to, to join, you know, like, you know, special I just accommodations for their families yeah. and things. Personally, mm-hmm. I think we'd have a lot less problems youth culture-wise if we, not like as the level of like Israel, but if everybody was required to do military service, because there is a lot of like confidence building. Hey, you've God. been told it, you've been told it by another ex-military person. It's yeah, that person building. is a person who is probably listening to the podcast and... We have this conversation on a regular basis. Yeah, um, and I'm on are, his side. I don't like that. Well, that's because that's on you. Because that person does, I think, glorify war too. Okay. On that. Well, note. I mean, that person would gladly just go off and fight today for the glory of it. Oh yeah, and we I'd, both agreed at one point if the Pope had called a crusade, we would have joined. But anyway. Oh my God. And I'm not even You're Catholic. Not even, yeah, so I was gonna say, like, <laughs> I just no, I don't get it. I don't. There's no glory in it. I don't understand the glorification of war because there is no glory. It's and there is no honor. People talk about it being like an honorable. It's not honorable. There's okay. nothing honorable about it. I would say that you might have a different tone if you spoke to somebody, a, a natural veteran. And have their perspective of it. These movies are based on the perspectives of actual veterans. And yeah, one of World them War is One. incredibly uh, anti-war. Yeah, from World War One. Like I said, as we discussed previously in the episode, it was a weird-ass time for mm-hmm. war. Mm-hmm. Anyway, war in general is weird. those multiple notes... <laughs> Join our Discord, tell us what you think about war. Um, <laughs> Are you pro or con war? Um... Use our promo code takes 2 on photorestorenz.com to get 25% off your purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a YouTube channel, which is, if you look for It Takes 2 on YouTube. Yeah, It Takes 2 NZ is our handle, all yeah. one word. Um, on Twitter and Instagram, we're It Takes 2 underscore pod. And on Facebook, just It Takes 2 pod. And our website is ittakes2.co.nz. Stay safe out there. Don't let the rats eat you. Yeah, no, please don't do that. Yeah, don't let the trench rates at you. Horrible. Okay, goodbye.